Elizabeth Barrett is a wife, mother, grandmother, licensed marriage and family therapist, educator, eavesdropper, and emotion worker. And she uses all of these skills to address the subjects that we're all grappling with in this conversation with the reluctant therapist. Happy Halloween Tuesday, Elizabeth. (laughs) Happy Halloween Tuesday to you, Brad. And what scary places are we off to today? I love your commitment to the craft. Hey, it's the only thing I've got. I I love that. (laughs) You know, did you know that 75% of the population participates in Halloween in some way? It's the second most celebrated holiday next to Christmas. I will tell you that my house is a, although we do decorate a lot for Christmas, we're a Halloween house at our place for sure. Isn't that wild? Yeah, we used to be a super Halloween house. My husband loves Halloween and so does my daughter. Her birthday is right around this week and so she always is a Halloween person. So very festive. Um, But we've kind of (laughs) dropped the ball. We've become those, you know, people. I don't shut the door and turn out the lights. But we don't have a lot of kids in the neighborhood anymore and so we don't really decorate anymore. And But I'm living vicariously through my grandchildren's experience uh, with Halloweens and how much fun they're having. I will tell you that I we have been better over the years and had more elaborate things. We put on movies and stuff. This year, it's a lone skeleton sitting on my bench <laughs> and it, and a decapitated head on the gate. So, But I am going to be there to pass out some candy and uh, try not to get tricked, uh, you know, <laughs> a homeowner and all that stuff. Yeah. I um. Yeah, it's really fascinating taking the look at Halloween through the through the lens of your grandchildren. It's not your own children. Um, so I have a little distance. And the thing that is motivating today's conversation is that my grandson, Barrett, loves to be terrified. And I didn't raise boys. And my other grandchild, Georgia, um, doesn't, doesn't have the same fascination with being afraid or terrified. But Barrett turns three next month. And he has fallen in love with the movie Nightmare. I can't remember the name of the, the Tim Burton movie. Uh, oh, you're, you're <laughs> that, talking about the Nightmare Before Christmas? Thank you. That was the whole premise of the show today. And I forgot the name <laughs> of the movie. There we go. Uh, but he loves this movie. And he loves to dress up in the skeleton costume. And he watches the movie constantly. And I got him a little light of Jack Skellington. And he sleeps with it at night. And every night for the last you know three weeks or since they started the decorations in the neighborhood. And there's quite a few families. So there's a lot of houses that are in the spirit of Halloween. And every night he just begs his mom, you know, I want to go see the scary guys. I want to go see the spooky guys. I want to see the spooky. And he's so afraid, but he has to keep going back. And I've found it fascinating. And there was, you know, a haunted house that they had a birthday party that his older sister went to. And he just begged Kirsten, please, I want to go through the haunted house. And he was terrified through the whole thing. And they got out and he was so afraid. And he's like, let's do it again. (laughs) And so I have just really been interested to understand why it is that he's so fascinated by being afraid. And so I looked a bit into the research behind that. And I also want to give credit to my intern, Gabe, who's here today. Hello, Gabe. 
Hello, everybody. Um, he did a lot of the research on this because we were talking about it's like why, you know, what is it about? And maybe it's not just a gender thing. It might not just be little boys, but the people who find themselves really drawn to being terrified. Um, and one of the things that the research that came up showed that there's actually a ritualized reenactment of that predator-prey experience, those predator-prey interactions, so that that fun and being chased. You know, little kids also love to be chased. And Barrett will be chased all day long and scream the whole time and scream when you catch him, but loves to be chased. Children think that's the funnest game. Um, but there's this evolutionary psychology theory that there's this kind of biological or evolutionary reason why we love to be chased or love to be frightened. And it's because of this need to be prepared uh, for dangers in life. And so apparently we've evolved to find pleasure in those threat simulations of what it's like to be chased down <laughs> by a predator. We, we've, we've evolved to find it pleasurable because there's learning that goes along in that, these lessons about the dangers in the world and the way we respond to it. And so when we're being chased, chased or being terrified, we learned what it feels like to feel afraid. And then we get to practice and hone fear regulation practices. And so we may even become more resilient in the process of being terrified and being chased. And so from a psychotherapist position, all of a sudden I was, oh, aha, that makes so much sense from the evolutionary you know, psychology perspective that playing that out and every time Barrett, you know, gets chased or he goes to the haunted house and he's terrified and then he lives through it and he comes out the other side, then it's like, oh, I want to do it again because there's that innate need or desire to manage his fear response that, of course, he doesn't conscious of that. Or if he is, he's more magic than I even realized. <laughs> but on, on the unconscious level, he's like going through this, that motion of I need to know that I'm okay and so that also led into another bank of research about um, people who enjoy horror movies. And yeah, so we're going to talk about that as well. And what is it that drives them, you know, to want to be scared to death or to be terrified? And again, the idea is that that impulse to be terrified is adaptive and that people who who take pleasure in going to horror films um, – fall into what they call a psychological protective frame. And there's three different categories to it. The first is there's a safety frame. And in the safety frame, it's knowing that the evil entity is distant and cannot cause harm and, you know, will, will not actually, you know, harm us in any way. That's essential. So there's this sense of safety being at the film. And then the second protective frame is a sense of detachment, you know, that you have to sense that you can be reminded that the horror is not real. It's just someone who's acting. It's great acting. And, and I met my grandson, that's Barrett's thing the whole time when we were with him. And I said, that's so scary. That's so spooky. He goes, oh, Nana, that's just pretend. And he <laughs> says it with such confidence. That's just pretend. And so that's the second protective framework. And then the third one is the sense of control and confidence in managing that danger that we encounter. And so if you know that you can overcome the danger 
then you know that you're okay. There's some confidence in I can watch this show. I know it's not going to jump off the screen and get me. I feel safe. Um, but I also, you know, have this sense of being excited and thrilled. And what they found is that if any of those three frames are missing, if you don't have a sense of safety or detachment or control and confidence, then the pleasure and enjoyment of participating in the horror films declines uh, along with that. So anyways, that's just the, the psychological deep dive into why we love to be scared. And so I thought, because it is Halloween, that it'd be fun to kind of talk about our experiences around Halloween costumes that we enjoyed. Why do we like to dress up? Well, you're going to talk about that a little bit. But what are some of your Halloween traditions? Because Halloween is part religious holiday, you know, sacred All Hallows Eve and Day of the Dead tomorrow. And, you know, then it's part just costume dress-up party for a lot of people. And then on the other side, it's that kind of stepping into the dark, deep, unknown realm. Um, so that's My favorite. Where <laughs> so that's where we're going today. This is a conversation with a reluctant therapist. I'm Elizabeth Barrett, and you are invited to be part of our conversation today. The number is 805-781-3875. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook. I have a couple Halloween photos posted today. You can leave me a message there or send me an email after the show to elizabeth at thereluctanttherapist.com. So we're going to hear uh, a little bit of Jack's, Jack's Barrett, my grandson's favorite song from Nightmare on Night Before Christmas. Yeah, I should have written it down so I remember. Barrett's favorite movie. A little <laughs> bit from it. Then we'll come back and take your calls. This is Central Coast Public Radio, KCBX. Conversation with a reluctant therapist. I'm Elizabeth Barrett, and that is Nightmare Before Christmas. That goes out to my grandson Barrett because he will be dressing up as Zero the Dog tonight and going out to be terrified in any way possible and enjoy every minute of it. Um, so that's the conversation today. What is it about Halloween that 
causes 75% of the U.S. citizens to participate in some way. Is it the dressing up? Is it the being terrified? Is it seeing all the kids come to the neighborhood? Because I would say that that, for many, many, many years, has been my joy of Halloween, is I love seeing the kids having such a great time. I loved having the kids come to the house and ask them about their their costumes and, you know, who they are and why they dressed up that way. Um, they probably hated coming to my house. It's like, oh, we always have to talk to that lady for so long. We just want our <laughs> Snickers bar and then let us leave. But I would love to engage with them. And interestingly, in the research about why children love to dress up and why it's important to allow children to dress up and put on these different characters is to develop this social confidence because they put on this costume and they're playing out another role. And so they're developing communication skills safely because they don't feel like it's just them. They're being you know, the character. And so they are actually more confident quite often when they're dressed up than they would be when they're not wearing a costume. So that's the question on the table today. What is what is Halloween to you? Our number is 805-781-3875. And Chris, thanks for calling in and kicking us off today. What's on your mind in regards to Halloween? Well, you, you mentioned, you know, costumes and why, why would people want to do that or why that's popular. Mm-hmm. I think as an adult, an adult's going to costume parties, they get to be someone else. It's, yeah. And it's safe. Yeah, and it's all in good fun, so they can kind of be maybe a jerk or be a superhero or someone that they always wanted to be, and uh, there's you know it's just all it's all fun. So, are you a Halloween fan? Yeah, I think it's a good thing. Any favorite costumes? No, oh. maybe a coin cob. I was a coin cob a few years ago. That was very popular. <laughs> And so there, that idea of being able to just kind of let loose and let down your guard appeals to you. Yes, of course. I love that. Thanks for taking the time to call. Thanks. So, Gabe, you you are a Halloween person. Yes. And what is it about Halloween then for you? Um, just like everyone else says, I think the enjoyment of being somebody else, but talking about and going back to when I was a kid – I think one of my favorite things was was becoming or dressing up as Superman and trying to become this heroic guy mm-hmm. and socializing with, you know, all the girls at school or I was <laughs> Superman. And that was one of the cool things. And it made me feel confident. And but another thing that I also wanted to say was when I was a young kid, also the feeling of going through haunted houses and watching yeah. horror movies, overcoming that gave me this confidence and just this new skill that I developed that if I can watch this, then I won't be scared of the dark or I can help my sisters out or whatever it is during the night. And I'm becoming more of a man or Hmm. so kind of like that, the psychological framework that we were talking about that protective framework. So did it work? Did it give you a sense? Yes. For sure. And I still to this day, love the feeling of watching a new scary movie and just sitting there and getting over the feeling of being scared. But as I got older, it's not really scary. It's just the adrenaline and the enjoyment of pop-outs and, oh my gosh, what's going on? Mm -hmm. So that's what I really enjoy. And what about that adaptive piece that I think was interesting that there is almost a, a primal or evolutionary piece to it that we have been prey as you know, as human beings, and that practice of being chased down or so, being in dangerous situations. Exactly. I come from a, a hunting background, and there has been plenty of times in the hills and in the woods where my fight or flight comes in, and mm-hmm. I'm going after an animal. And I guess 
these jump out scares and haunted houses or horror movies kind of prepare you for that subconsciously. So mm-hmm. I guess those two things tie in hand tie hand in hand which i really enjoy and i still feel it to this day mm-hmm. so. so yeah there is that kind of growing piece uh that the dressing up and being afraid and watching the horror movies and brad you said you're a horror movie fan from way back okay why for you um there's a couple of reasons why but one is the time that i was brought up in uh, you know, I grew up when monsters were on popular culture everywhere, from the from the Munsters mm-hmm. to the Adams Family, <laughs> Twilight Zone, The Outer Limits, mm-hmm. and uh, you know the monsters were silly. The Outer Limits were thoughtful. And as a geeky, teeny little kid, I loved being scared, but I also loved um, the whole atmosphere and the culture around it. I build the models. Heck, if you go to my house today, you'll see a whole wall of old 60s monster models that I still collect. And so it just I I think it just gave me a sense, as you say, and it's interesting that you bring it up, that if I can overcome this fear, Mm -hmm. then that makes me a stronger person. And uh, so that's the the main thing about it. And I was just always a kid kind of drawn, you know, to to that kind of stuff. I read Edgar Allan Poe in (laughs) second grade and. You know, all of these things. And to this day, I, I, I never really let go of that uh, little kid ever. And so tonight I'll be going home and uh, while my wife is at work, I'll probably watch my current obsessive scary movie mm-hmm. recommendation, which I'll pass along to you guys later mm-hmm. on if you're interested. Oh, I think you should pass it on for sure because the the whole genre of horror films is a – Art in itself, isn't it? It's very nuanced. And as somebody who started off with the classic horror films and went through kind of the brutal 70s and enjoyed cult films and that kind of stuff, too. At a certain point, the brutality of some of what is now considered to be modern horror films got got by me. And so I I quickly got to the point where I'm not really enjoying those films and I'm looking for something different. And my wife says I'm obsessed on this one particular experimental horror film, uh, and I kind of am just because of what it doesn't show you. And uh, so um, I would recommend it. It's a film called Skinamarink. And if you uh, get a chance to see it, uh, watch it with the lights off and with the uh, captions on because it doesn't show you much. You're either going to look at it and say, I have no idea what I'm looking at, or you're going to be obsessed and terrified by it. And uh, Skinamarink, it was a... Uh, very, very small film, but it's part of a new wave of cinema on YouTube, mm-hmm. uh, which is surrounded, which is surrounding everyday experiences. It's called analog horror. So I, I'd recommend that. If you're just tuning in, this is a conversation with a reluctant therapist. I'm Elizabeth Barrett, chatting with my producer, Brad. Have my uh, intern, Gabe, here. And we're just talking about what Halloween means to us. Is it the dressing up part? Is it being terrified? Is it more of the holy day, the All Hallows' Eve? Why is Halloween something that you care about or don't care about? Our number is 805-781-3875. That's 805-781-3875. I'd just love to know what your favorite costumes are. That's I'm so curious because I can remember – a few of mine. I don't know if it was my favorite costume, um, but my mom is incredibly creative and would make our costumes. And the one that I most remember is she made playing cards 
so my brother and I were the queen of hearts and the jack of spades. And, he had, and I can visually remember that. I don't know if we liked those costumes, but now as an adult, I look back, oh, that was great. My mom put that time into it. And so I'm, I'm really appreciative of the creative costuming that people come up with or why they're drawn to certain characters. And I would say as I got older, especially during high school and college and into my young adulthood, it was always some sort of version of, um, you know, a, a woman who ran a house of ill repute in San Francisco <laughs> during, you know, during the gold rush era. For some reason, that was always the alter Miss ego. Kitty. Piece. Miss Kitty from exactly. Gunsmoke. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, Ruby May would yeah. have been the alter Ruby ego May. right there. Um, so I'd love to know what your choice of costumes are and why you choose them. 805-781-3875. So – when you're talking about the movies too, Brad, it makes me think of then that difference between the psychological thrillers and the actual slasher mm-hmm. films and, and those different genres. And I, and I have to say, I don't know what that says about me because after reading the research that talks about that adaptive piece and that there's actually you know something uh, helpful in, in watching or being scared or sitting through these movies that helps develop resilience and that we need to develop resilience because life does have dangerous moments and scary things that happen. And so this is one of those adaptive ways that we can become stronger. I close my eyes through anything even remotely gory or scary. I don't even go to any movie, wouldn't sit through anything scary and have been that way since I was a little kid. So I also have this strange fascination with trying to understand why anyone would find that pleasurable. Now, from the psychological standpoint, now I kind of get it. But what is it? I I just think going back to what I said is just being able to overcome the the scary factor or the horror factor of oh are you no. a slasher film guy or are you a psychological thriller person? psychological thriller. So you like the that ju- too wondering who the bad person is? Or well, I mean, I guess kind of in the middle i mean i enjoy the pop out scary the demonic craziness any movies that come to mind the the conjuring has always been my favorite i know nothing about that oh brad says yeah it's just this crazy demonic uh house that is haunted and there's this family that moves in and they think life's gonna go good and it doesn't and the sister gets um don't give it all away okay but yeah and there's just pop outs all the time and everyone has always said it's been the scariest movie ever and I always go back to it and I just love the feeling and excitement and adrenaline rush that I get even though you know what's going to happen now it still gets you yeah Yeah, what about uh, haunted houses Um, so I was actually I worked in a haunted house in 8th grade and uh, I did it for fun and I guess there wasn't really a lot of girls that did it, but there was a good group of guys from the football team that went out and just did it for fun. And I guess not to be mean or anything, but the enjoyment of scaring people and the fun of Halloween and that side of it was yeah. something that I really enjoyed. So there's that whole other piece of being scared, but then you also don't mind jumping out. No. And, okay, that's great. 805-781-3875 is our number on this Halloween. What is on your mind? Uh, Kelly, thanks for calling in. You're on the air. Uh, you got to push your button. There. I thought I did. There you go. Thank you, <laughs> Kelly. You're on the air. What's on your mind today? Hi. Um, actually, this is my first time calling into any radio ever. I'm um, so proud of you. So I have no idea what to expect, but um, 
kind of what's on my mind is something a little bit different. I um, have like a really interesting relationship with Halloween because growing up, it was so fun to dress up and get candy and wear costumes and spend time with friends. And then eventually I actually developed an eating disorder. And so a lot of the like treats that are associated with Halloween became very hard for me. Mm -hmm. And a few years ago, I was actually in eating disorder treatment on Halloween. And so, you know, it's kind of become a day to like reclaim food and enjoy things that previously scared me and take away that fear and take away the power that they've kind of had over my life. Wow. I love that reclaiming Kelly because you're using that joy on a scary day to find joy again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so do you, do you still like the dressing up piece of it? It's no, it's, it's very fun to, to, to dress up still and to choose a costume and sometimes coordinate it with other people. Um, It's, it's definitely fun to do that. And when you go out now for treats, will you allow yourself the treats? Is that part of the um, the reclaiming the holiday for you? Yeah, I mean, no matter where I am on Halloween, like it's it's always my goal to have have candy or have a treat or have something something sweet and enjoyable. So, um, yeah, that's always that's been part of it the the last few years. Um, it's been really big for me. Good for you. Congratulations. And also I appreciate you bringing that piece up because I would imagine in our culture that has such an odd relationship with food and pleasure and joy and consider some things become bad foods, right? Or good foods, or Mm -hmm. we're allowed to do this or not allowed to do that, that I imagine for a lot of people, you get to a point where that joy of childhood of not thinking about what you're eating or how you're dressing or how you are in the world all of a sudden comes crashing down and you have to almost refine pleasure in spite of a culture that says you're not allowed to or you shouldn't. And yet we pass out candy and treats. It, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because kids don't care about that. But, Mm-mm. you know, once you get past that trick-or-treating stage of your life, um, you know, some people have a very, like, fraught relationship with um, <laughs> Halloween treats. Yeah. Yeah. And it becomes it's part of like that secretness, right? That you're hiding in the closet having your Halloween treats. And so mm-hmm. part part of the overcoming is to be able to stand out, you know, in the front yard or on the porch and have a Snickers while the kids' baskets are getting filled. Yes. Uh, Callie, thank you so much for calling in. I'm proud of you. That takes a lot of courage. I get scared thank- calling into other people's shows. Thank you. Have a good thank Halloween. You. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. This is a conversation with a reluctant therapist. I'm Elizabeth Barrett, and we're talking about Halloween and what does it mean to us. Kelly has a whole different kind of experience. For me now, it's really about the kids and the enjoyment and pleasure I get of seeing them dressed up and having such a good time. But I love that Kelly brought that up because I also love them seeing the kids just loving themselves. You know, there there isn't the judgment of how they look or or how they're behaving and they can love, you know, hopefully love having some candy and the fun in that and getting that surprise. 
Um, and so there must be the, the psychotherapist in me also maybe has that little melancholy in the back where I worry about the time when they do stop allowing themselves to have fun or they feel self-conscious about, you know, their costume or just kind of want to be cool. Like that, I feel a little bit sad as well knowing that the way our culture is set up, at some point we start making children feel conscious of themselves or not feel as joyous or free in expressing themselves. And so I would think that part of our adult development then is reclaiming Halloween as an adult and being able to just throw on a costume and go out to a party and have some fun with your friends. It would almost be like that moving back to your childhood self. I'll tell you this. uh, Some of the most fun that uh, my wife and I have had on uh, recent Halloweens is a couple of years back, we went as Batman and Batwoman Mm -hmm. together. Um, and the reason we did that was because we both grew up during a time when our Batman cape was a towel. <laughs> and we realized at a certain point as we were 60-something years old, you know what? We can afford actual capes now. <laughs> and so you have never seen anything like you've seen a middle-aged couple happily wearing their cowl and gigantic Batman capes <laughs> running up and down the hall as if they were – you know, five years old again. And there's a, there's a joy and, and a very liberating feeling in being able to do something like that. Uh, that, inner, that inner child never really goes away. No, well, and that is also an interesting point because a lot of work for people who go into therapy when they're older is to find and tap into that inner child piece, that part of us that is playful and is carefree and not self-conscious. And a lot of that reclaiming of that that inner joy is how people heal. And, and you wouldn't really think about it unless you kind of were in the world of psychotherapy, um, how important it is to allow ourselves to be silly and to laugh and to giggle. And I am not a huge giggly person. I love to laugh, but I don't think I'm the silliest person. And I think that's why being with the grandkids is so good for me because it's that safe place to to be silly and to get on the floor and to laugh at stupid things. Um, But I think a real courageous adult or a real um, individuated adult is an adult who can just laugh and play and be silly with other adults. Uh, I think that's a true freedom. It is, and it was very liberating for the two of us. We have very fond memories of that. Yeah. You know, uh, that, that's one of our favorite costumes. If you're just tuning in, it's all about Halloween today. What are your experiences with Halloween? Do you like the fear factor part? Do you like the dress-up part? Do you like just hanging out with the kids? I'd um, like to hear from you. Our number is 805-781-3875. This is a conversation with a reluctant therapist. And we're going to take a quick break and come back to continue taking your calls right here on Central Coast Public Radio, KCBX. People are strange when you're a stranger. Faces look ugly when you're alone. Women seem wicked when you're unwanted. Streets are uneven when you're down. When you're strange, no one remembers your name. When you're strange, when you're strange, when you're strange. Okay. 
This is a conversation with a reluctant therapist. I'm Elizabeth Barrett. Our number is 805-781-3875. And it seemed like a good day to just um, enjoy a conversation about the second most celebrated holiday in the United States, which is Halloween, which I guess kind of surprised me when I read that research because I would have thought it would be maybe Thanksgiving or Easter, or maybe Mother's Day, Um, but it's actually Christmas and then uh, Halloween. There's a lot of traditions, and it's because it's part religious holiday, Holy Day, All Hallows Week, All Hallows Eve, on the Day of of the Dead, and then there's the dress-up, fun run through the neighborhood, costume part of Halloween um, that people enjoy, and then, you know, there's the terrifying part of Halloween, scary movies and the dark of the night and the creatures coming up from the cemetery. Um, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And so I'm just curious what it is that draws people into celebrating or or what they see as the meaning or purpose of Halloween in their life. I mean, I I think that the – the information about being terrified or scared and loving scary movies is fascinating. And so if someone was going to take a dip into scary movies, I'll put that out to both of you, someone who never really allowed themselves to watch anything, what would be a starter scary film? Hmm. Gabe? Um, I don't – I mean – I feel like any scary movie, if you've never watched a horror movie, would be But I wouldn't go Conjuring first try. So, it sounds way too scary. What I do mean, you think, Brad? Uh, I would – now, I'm, I'm kind of old school here. Okay. okay so I'm going to go back to a, a real cheesy filmmaker by the name of William Castle who okay. made a whole bunch of films back in the day where he would literally do things like wire the seats in the theater to give you an electric shock during the performance – Uh, That was for a film called The Tingler. And literally in the film, The Tingler gets loose in the crowd and he started shocking people. (laughs) That'd be great. But the film that I would recommend that you start with is kind of what would be a light diet. And that would be one of his films called The House on Haunted Hill. Okay. And that stars Vincent Price, of course. And it is a haunted house kind of film with a twist. Um, And it's got certainly enough gory-ish without being over the top and and unsettling um, level of haunted house kind of stuff. And I would recommend that as a a starting place if you want to start off light and then move it on up from there if you like. Is that an easy film to find? Oh, yeah. It's it's practically in the public domain, and uh, you can find it on... uh, uh, any of the streaming services, archive.org has got it, and uh, it's a it's a really fun film. Then I would recommend that you watch uh, The Tingler because I saw that movie, I saw the trailer for that movie uh, when it came out. We're talking '65 or something. Terrified me until the till I finally got to see it. Then it really terrified me as a little kid for a while. But it wasn't exceptionally gory, just exceptionally creepy, and uh, the concept of it was was very interesting and uh so very interesting way to start then i would uh, i would start to move on up to stuff like uh, night of the living dead the original version i was thinking maybe creature of the black lagoon would be that's a great movie too all the classic monster movies are 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 wonderful too um, if you're looking for something going way back bride of frankenstein the original has got such uh, a level of comedy built into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was actually a comedy follow-up to the original Frankenstein. James Whale was trying to make uh, 
kind of an artistic wink statement at Hollywood with that film. So when I was in college, The Exorcist had come out, which of course I would have never seen in a million years to this day. But one of my roommates got really into seeing it. And she was, I feel so bad telling the story, but I just have to because it's so appropriate. She got really into the movie and she was terrified all the time after she saw it. And then she also was an annoying roommate that never slept and always kept everyone awake. So it was a super rainy night in Santa Barbara and we had lived on the second floor and we had tall windows. So we had this long pole for opening the windows. And so we took that pole and we got a mannequin head and put a mask and a wigs on it <laughs> and in the rain. And we went around <laughs> to her side of the window and banged on the window with this hat it was she was so freaked out that she left and didn't come back to our apartment for a week she stayed at her boyfriend's house i felt at the time really bad about it but now as i'm wondering that was a wicked scary halloween-esque thing to do that i in now hindsight don't think i had in me but i did but it's amazing (laughs) that the going to the movie and being terrified was something that people willingly do it still blows my mind all right so gabe on your list of starter movies so um there's one movie that i always go back to it's kind of like a comedy it's came out in the 1950s my grandfather showed it to me when i was a young kid and i i bought the movie it's available on youtube it's abbott and costello meet frankenstein really yes and i okay i it's the best movie as a starter and then i would next go to maybe it the clown movie or paranormal activity which is like a comedy of this couple that moves houses and but it's also like pop scare like or jump scares that you know can kind of get you on your toes i don't want anything with a clown then maybe not (laughs) it but um and then i would go to some like jaws or saw i've seen jaws so i guess that does qualify but i closed my eyes through a lot of it as i said before then um (laughs) once you get up or that level i guess you could say uh climb the ladder then start going into some exorcism or those are that to me is just too close to real life but that's what makes it fun i mean i don't really believe in it i actually really don't but i just I enjoy it. I enjoy like me and my cousin Anthony uh, when I was 11 and 12. It was a thing on the weekends where I'd go over and we'd go through Netflix and watch as many scary movies as we could. And it was just in it, super fun. So does where does Friday the 13th and Scream and movies like that, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, are, are those in the realm of the horror movies? Yeah, but those are more of like slashing murder you know lead up to it and people die at the end the demonic and i don't like to use that word but Mm -hmm. that type of side the exorcism is exorcist and that they have exorcisms in there and people get possessed and demons are there because it's the unknown so that's what's a lot more enjoyable rather than the slashing and killing and things like that yeah, and that's the thing, Brad, that I found that there's different 
categories of these movies. And if you're just tuning in, I just want to remind you kind of how we got on the topic of talking about being scared. And I mentioned at the top of the show that my grandson, Barrett, who's just turning three, he's just a little pumpkin, um, loves to be scared. He loves to be terrified. He's having the best time watching over and over again The Nightmare Before Christmas and Jack Skellington and going to a haunted house in the neighborhood and going back again and again and, you know, just loves being afraid. And I was so confused by why such a little person would love to be terrified um, that I had Gabe do some research. And he came up with some really interesting points about this adaptive behavior that we as human beings have evolved um, to enjoy kind of this, not enjoy, but it's become this ritualized reenactment of the predator-prey interactions of, you know, early human experiences. And apparently we evolved to find pleasure in that threat simulation, that being chased and almost attacked or almost caught or afraid because evolutionarily there's learning that goes into that lessons about dangers in the world and how we respond to it and when we're terrified and come you know get over it or we're afraid and we overcome it then we get that practice and hone our fear regulation skills because it's important to be able to regulate our fear so we don't fight you know fright or basically freeze and not be able to run that there's actually some benefits in being able to be comfortable with our fright response And then we develop resilience. And so I find that really interesting that there is that benefit to practicing being afraid or being chased to develop resilience, to understand that we can overcome uh, terror in some ways. Now, having said that, I do want to point out that we don't force children into frightening scenarios, that we wouldn't force them to watch terrifying movies because that would have the counter experience of just developing phobias or fears. But when your child expresses an interest in being afraid or wanting to be chased or dressing up and seeing scary things, um, then in that way, it does have some benefit. But it would be counterproductive to force a child into uh, situations that were terrifying if they're not seeking them out because that would not fit their temperament at all. Um, Elizabeth, I've got a question, too, and this is kind of a deep end of this discussion, but mm-hmm. would it be possible that, uh, let's say a child has a has kind of a tumultuous li- home life, right? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't, isn't there a possibility that, that by enjoying and, and, and experiencing these unreal fears mm-hmm. and conquering them, that that gives them a little bit of stability to understand that maybe they can overcome, you know, uh, real life fears of their own does does that does that make any am i being somewhat clear here no you're you're absolutely correct and again gabe did the deep dive into the yeah. information did you want to add to that i mean i mean if, if yeah. it's an abusive situation in in the home but yet the child is able to see a happy or happy ending or somebody working through it on their own well one of the the pieces that I found really interesting in the research was about this psychological protective frame. And so if a child grows up in an abusive home or, you know, experiences violence or trauma to see these scary films or these horror films and with a protective frame, right, they feel physically safe. They're watching the movie, but they also know that the evil is out there. It's not in the room with them. It's on the screen. And then the second protective frame is detachment. You know, they know that it's just someone 
playing or acting, that it's not really happening, that they are detached from what's happening to the film person on the film. And then the third frame of psychological distance is gaining confidence and feeling they can control and manage the dangers because they can close their eyes or they can watch it or they know that it's not real and they can say this isn't real. And so by encountering this in a safe, protective frame, they can kind of heal or build up the resilience. So yeah, that, that is a good point. Uh, this is a conversation with a reluctant therapist. I'm Elizabeth Barrett, and our number is 805-781-3875. We're talking about all things Halloween, and what is the Halloween experience for you? And Simon, thanks for taking the time to call. Thank you very much. What's on your um, mind today? Well, I just wanted to, to bring maybe a slightly different perspective. I, I wasn't brought up in this country. I came here late, and, and, and I experienced these this Halloween thing, and, I, and I, it was really deleterious to me. I got really scared um, of the... I, I, we hadn't had a television over in Europe where I came mm. from. And when I came here and I saw these, you know, th- th- these things out of a nightmare yeah. to me. Yeah. I, 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 and, and the fact that, that, that the, the focus on violence and death and bleeding and, and death, I mean... Death is no joke. My father died in my arms. I mean, it's not funny. It's not cute. And I hate. I don't like to see that the little kids, you know, uh, on the street, mm-hmm. risking being hit by cars, and and getting, you know, God knows what from from strangers. I'm I'm afraid for their safety. You know, in that sense. So I just feel that, you know, I know it's been palliated by you know, years of exposure, and, 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 and it's so popular. But it just, it, it, it escapes me why anything like that, violence and, and, and pain, and, and, you know, could be somehow pasteurized to, to seem so much fun and, and so enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And, and I just don't feel it's, I don't feel it's good for, for younger children to, to, to minimalize the real dangers out there, you know, because they're so impressionable. I mean, there are, as we all know, there are real, real dangers out there. And I don't, and it doesn't end happily often yeah. at all. So, that, I mean, not trying to be a killjoy, <laughs> but I wish that, like, why not have, like, you know, the Easter Bunny and have that as the focal point, which is innocent and wholesome, you know, rather than, than these, these awful so-called monsters, which, honestly... I I was scared senseless by, as a youth, the Wolfman, mm-hmm. Dracula. I'd never seen anything like that, and I couldn't go to sleep. I, I couldn't. I wouldn't go out at night. I was scared that you know all these things were wait, waiting in the kid. dark. Yeah. Well, so, and- I mean, I don't want to be a bummer, but. I, there, there it goes. I was. No, you're not a bummer, Simon, because everything in life has those dualities, don't they? That there's a light and yes. the dark. And for some people, you know, being terrified is some therapeutic medicine for them. And on the same hand, for some people, it is terrifying and just increases that sense of fear or phobia. And so that's also an important part of the whole Halloween discussion because there are a lot of communities that, you know, have concerns about the kids being out and it becomes very violent or kind of scary and that it's not just a wholesome ringing doorbells. And so I, I appreciate you bringing that up because I wouldn't want the hour to sound like uh, just, you know, glossing over of, 
kind of the darker side of Halloween and the darker side of danger and fears and people who are actually terrified by things that happen in the world. So I appreciate that. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to me. I know it's probably an unpopular view, but nope, I, I, I think it's fair. Motivated. I appreciate it, Simon. I really do. Thanks for taking the time to call. And and I do agree that, as I mentioned before, we wouldn't want to subject a child who shows fear and resistance to things that are scary and force them to. That there there is this other way of looking at the Halloween experience. And then we as parents, that is our job, to create the Halloween experience that best suits our children's temperament. You know, I'm not going to dress up my child that wants to. My girls were tooth fairies and, you know, athletes. And I, neither one of my girls ever really desired to dry, to dress up anything scary. We didn't really watch scary movies. And that's why I think the whole experience with my grandson is so different because it's the first connection I've had with any of my kids who really wanted to be afraid. No, and I, I totally agree with you. And just like Simon said, there are other aspects. And my grandmother now doesn't really enjoy the whole side but when I was younger she did but as I got older and I started to realize the certain aspects of it and I do have younger cousins that are siblings that or uh, family members that are younger and hearing I just talked to my grandmother the other day and hearing like oh they're gonna go do this there is that side of me where I'm like oh well you know, the world's a lot different today. So I, I, I can feel for that. I understand that. But I also have this thought in my head where, you know, there's so many aspects of life that during this time right now in this world that we don't get to experience them a lot. And as a young kid growing up, being able to become a certain superhero or to dress up as somebody and be someone that I would love to be or try to be just gave me a certain confidence and going out to these scary mazes with <laughs> my fourth grade buddies or stuff just gave us this confidence as we're grow- growing older and becoming young men that I think any young kid would need. And I think our an- ancestors, there were maybe some certain things that they would do for young children. And it, I mean, that's crazy. And I'm going out of the world about right. it. But I think there's so many things that Halloween taps into for young children, just like your grandson and anyone else there that has an enjoyment doing certain things. We don't get to enjoy certain holidays or rituals that we did 300 years ago. So I think it's awesome that people have different outlooks and views on this holiday, but there's so many positives and negatives. And for me, space. Right. And I think the other side of that is the dressing up piece. Cause we didn't really address that very much. You talked about Batman and Batwoman costumes. Um, I said, I really liked, you know, my, uh, gold rush era costumes and you like the Superman piece. Yeah. Um, I love creative homemade mom costumes so much. Um, one year, as I mentioned, the tooth fairy, my husband carved teeth out of styrofoam and put them on a belt for the girls and made them wands with teeth carved out. It was phenomenal costumes. I adore a well thought out costume and that opportunity again for kids to try in a different persona. And in the LGBTQ community this uh, this opportunity to dress up and you know challenge uh, gender conforming and to be able to put on a whole different identity or gender or sexual orientation and, and play that out and enjoy not being judged is huge and for kids to be able to 
slip into Superman costume when maybe they're not that confident in themselves. All of those things are great. You know, a couple of years back, uh, my wife and I had a very unusual thing happen. We went as the two little girls from the movie The (laughs) Shining. Shining. Yes. I can picture it. And full dresses, wigs, and the whole thing. And when we showed up, another couple that we knew was dressed the same way. So uh, for the picture for that Halloween party, there's four of us all dressed as those little girls standing in in front of the the backdrop there. And it was a fun memory to to have that because not that we wanted to be those two spooky little girls, but (laughs) it was fun to get into the spirit, as you say, and to, to be somebody other than who you are and to have a Hopefully, a, a little sense of humor and uh, you know about it. Yeah. Yeah. Other other favorite costumes. Oh, plenty of zombies. I've done um, I've done uh, lots of mad scientists. I play in a band called Doctor Danger, so we've got lab coats everywhere. You know that kind of thing. Um, always love that. Um, that's one of my big reg- regret. We didn't throw a, a costume party this year for us to to bring everybody together. But those are some of my favorites. But you know. I'll always remember the plastic Frankenstein mask that my <laughs> when you're mom, a little kid. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. and and the the rubber band that never makes it all the way through <laughs> the trick or treating. I know those classic costumes. Um, if you're just tuning in, this is a conversation with a reluctant therapist, and we're just enjoying the day that is Halloween here. Our number is 805-781-3875. If you have any memories or thoughts about how uh, Halloween impacts your life, 75% of people in the United States participate in some sort of Halloween activity. Um, I, I find that amazing, second only to Christmas. And... You know, there's so many ways that the dress up piece of it is profound, not just on Halloween, but throughout, you know, all aspects of our life, because clothes have say so much about who we are and how we project ourselves into the world and to, you know, have that freedom to step outside of those expectations that people have of us and to try on a different personality or different way of being is is amazing. And there's a whole part of psychology or psychotherapy, play therapy with children, where they come into the play therapy room and it's set up with just tons of costumes and accessories. And to watch children come in and see what they choose and why they choose and to dress up and put that on, you know, is is a really powerful way to help children deal with trauma or fears or phobias. And so that Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, that Halloween, (laughs) I'm already just skipping holidays, that Halloween box of um, dress ups, can be utilized year round. And I think that's one of the great joys of childhood is the big dress up box. And I don't know if that was a guy thing as much. Did you have dress up boxes as a no, kid? No, no, not at all. Did you play dress up or no. just Halloween? So that's it. Just Halloween. Hmm. I, I mean, I would wear an army suit every now and then, but I would never, I didn't have costumes just sitting around in a box. It was just normally Halloween. So that was the big free. The dress up was going out and getting dirty in the mud or something <laughs> like that, but nothing in a so box. So aside from Superman, other favorite costume? Um, one year there was this band, I guess you could call them LMFAO, mm-hmm. and they had this dancer in the song, I'm Sexy and I Know It. <laughs> and uh, this gold man, and he had this big cardboard box, and my uncle actually made it for me, and the the red lights were flashing. And every time I see one of my friends, Ian, 
from back home, he always brings it up and how much of a good memory that was. And we laugh about it so hard every time. And um, I wish I still had the the cardboard box cutout of the headpiece, but that was probably one of the best Halloween costumes I've ever had. And the amount of like, oh my gosh, because it was like the hit. Yes. And I was like, you're the one that was sporting it. And I was the only one who dressed up as him and pulled it off that cool. So I was so hyped about it and so excited to go to school the next day. And we, my grandmother put a lot of time into it and it was just so much fun. And I was like the talk of that day and I won the Halloween costume also. So that was really cool. But yeah. yeah. So, so even aside from the scary spooky pieces, that dressing up and taking another identity and getting recognition in that way was really powerful. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd imagine that too, Brad, to be creative in that way and to be able to be recognized in a way that you chose to be recognized and not the way people want to judge you. Definitely. But yeah. Definitely. It's really powerful. But I will I will confess that my laziest costume ever was um, I went to a rock and roll themed party and I came as Brian Wilson during his sandbox days. <laughs> Which basically meant I wore my robe <laughs> and didn't brush my hair. And my wife, to this day, says, laziest costume <laughs> ever. So, but, uh, you know, at least she got what I was trying to get out she, of. And you got what she needed for the day. <laughs> and we got what we needed today. Thank you so much for being a part of this hour. This has been a conversation with The Reluctant Therapist. I'm Elizabeth Barrett. And if you'd like to share your thoughts or feelings and continue the conversation, you can send me an email to elizabeth at thereluctanttherapist.com. You can leave a message on our Facebook or Instagram pages, The Reluctant Therapist. You can podcast our show wherever you get podcasts to listen to this show or previous episodes. Uh, just look for a conversation conversation with the reluctant therapist and as always thank you for being part of our community and listening and supporting central coast public radio kcbx when i look out my window many sights to see and when i look in my window so many different people to be that it's strange So strange You got to pick up every stitch You got to pick up every stitch You got to pick up every stitch mm-hmm. Must be the season of the wind must be the season of the witch, yeah. Must be the season of the witch. When I look over my shoulder, what do you think I see? Summer cat looking over. His shoulder at me And he's strange Sure is strange You got to pick up every 